data-driven podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Welcome to the Data-Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, leader, or just curious about developing data skills, the Data-Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host and the co-founder of Story IQ, Dominic Bohan. Today, we're going to discuss customer centricity and product performance. Joining us is Victoria Zhang, who is the VP of Data Science at Salesforce. Salesforce is a company that specializes in AI, data, and CRM, which together create what they call customer magic. And today, Victoria and I are going to discuss understanding who is the user versus the customer. Okay, here's my conversation with Victoria Zhang, the VP of Data Science at Salesforce. Victoria, thanks for joining us on the Data Driven Podcast today. Hello, Dominic. Nice meeting you. Likewise, can we start off by giving our audience a bit of a definition and delineation between what is a user and what is a customer? What's the key distinction? That's a very good question. All of us are consumers ourselves. We use a lot of consumer technologies from the videos we view from the online purchasing orders from the uh, equipments we utilize. So as a consumer, we really understand the customer perspective of a B2C company because we know how it works. But if you go into a SaaS company that is software as a service, you probably never use the SaaS products in your lifetime. So this is where a user and a customer of SaaS company is harder for us as analysts to understand because we never really had experience with it. Um, but also think about the customer lens. If you buy something from online, you're the customer. But if a company bought a software, the company who made a decision by the software probably is not the one who's using the software. So in the CRM case, a CIO or CRO or CEO could make the decision to buy the software from Salesforce. Who are using it? But actually, multiple people are using the software. You first need developers to implement the software for the enterprise. Then, then you have different roles of people, such as sales account executives who are going to use the software to help their lead process, opportunity, and close a deal. So there's difference between the customer and the users and the multiple users within a SaaS business that makes it fascinating and so different from a consumer business. And if you analyze, that's really where you started, is what is a customer I'm trying to understand here? Okay, I think that helps clarify things a lot. Now, fortunately, you work from what for one of the biggest SaaS companies in the world that people are probably most familiar with, which is Salesforce. So I think it's going to be a great example for further elucidating that distinction. Now, in my mind, there's a little bit more of a distinction where you could say the user and the end users, that's a diverse group of all sorts of different people that might touch a big SaaS product. And then the customer is really the entity and the end beneficiary and the shareholders, right? And it feels like there's a third group, which is the decision maker. And that brings up all sorts of interesting questions, right? Because the decision maker 
doesn't necessarily have to live day to day with the consequences of the decision. So is that a reasonable way of thinking about it? And how can we balance the needs of these different groups? That's an excellent way to think about it. Um, I often equate it as a parent's buying things for their kids. Um, the kids is actually going to use a product the parent buy, but the parent probably have a different criteria why they choose certain product or not certain product. So you're absolutely right. And that's why one of the key insights we generate is not necessarily from quantitative perspective, it's actually qualitative is we're going to send, you know, NPS, Net Promoter Score surveys to those decision makers and to the developers and to the use of our products and ask them, what is your satisfaction? So the criteria decision maker is going to look at is whether this product generally solves their company's problem. What is the cost side of things? What is the competitive advantage? And honestly, how easy to work with our company. Because a company that buy into a, such a complicated SaaS product usually require a lot of help to make the solution work for them. So that is the decision maker. So as analysts, when we are thinking about a decision maker data points and trying to influence the decisions, those are the data points we need to collect and understand. If you're looking at developer and the user perspective, you are more going to uh, lean toward the traditional way of data analytics and all the quantitative data, um, just as product analytics does is to understand user experiences in product and to find out what features click with those users, what features do not. Those data analytics questions that become the insights are driving day-to-day -day operations of this company. And that is a totally different set of analytics we do. But they are not separate. So at some point in time, those three user groups, we mean our customer group need to be connected for us to understand that if we have a really brilliant product, then we should make this value very visible to the decision makers to really encourage long-term engagement and a future incremental investment with us. But if we do not have a really great use experiences, we need to actually use that as a signal to influence and then to intervent the future decision making so that is going to be the connecting piece between the qualitative side, the quantitative side things, and the current state and the future state of this business, because SaaS business actually has a time lag. You could make a decision to buy the software and use for three years, but within that three years time, you probably don't need to have to think about whether the product is going to be renewed or not until the contract comes up. So the SaaS business is really fascinating about what you measure today matters, but it matters even more when the contract comes up. Mm, could we break this down further by looking at the life cycle? So with a SaaS customer onboarding life cycle, in the first instance, you wouldn't have any users yet, right? You're trying to sell to a new client. So we're just focused on the customer and the decision maker. 
And at that stage, are you saying that's where we want to do a more qualitative assessment of what they want? And to the extent we're presenting data, it's more qualitative data as well. Is that right? I think this is a fascinating question. And imagine if I am back to my startup days <laughs> and you're really building a new SaaS product, let's say that you do not have any customer base. You may have some relevant point from competitive products or products in a similar category. So when you start a new product and you're trying to convince the decision makers to actually make investment as analysts, what data points you could provide, right? But it's different when you are existing company, you've sold probably the first 10, 20 customers. You already have the connecting, uh, you already collect the data on those behavior and the benefits of that. So I think in both cases, either you have those first initial data points or not. The one thing that we really need to understand is what problem are you solving for the customers? especially in the SaaS business, because you know what? It's not as obvious as consumers, right? <laughs> so the first question is, right, what is the business value you're delivering? In the CRM world, the business value we're delivering is helping the customer to really make their, their sales cycle, their selling uh, process faster, better, right, more efficient. So as a Analyst, the first question we often need to ask is what business value this product, product I'm supporting is going to provide to my customer groups. And starting there, collecting the data that's supporting that business value. So for a new startup, those business value could be designed into your product already. And we need to actually craft a story around that business value. For the company that already have early adopters, you're actually going to see the real data. For example, if this particular product is saving customer time, how much time I'm saving? If this product is going to help the customer to drive better sales process, am I going to quantify this end-to-end process in time and then make that into a business value? So those data are really going to help both the decision makers as well as developer and users of the company to know what is the product doing for them. Okay, thanks for that. I think I understand what you're saying in terms of the qualitative versus quantitative approach. We're really looking at it from the perspective of a startup. And so when you don't have users, you have to rely on qualitative data. As soon as you acquire users, they start generating data for you that you can use to refine your product and that message could appeal to users, it could appeal to customers and decision makers as well. Yeah, a common mistake I think we often make, uh, not saying any given company, is we build a product. We're so proud of the product. We started selling the product, all our data points, either from the quantitative side, quantitative side, about how great the product is, right? But really what you do is connecting that data points to the business value you're trying to deliver and make that the message you send to the customers, not about how great the product is, is how great the product is solving their problems, how great they're solving the problems. So as a data analyst, we often say storytelling is a very important part of our job. Um, we tell the story sometimes to our internal users. Those are the internal teams we support, but also sometimes our stories travel 
far beyond the company boundary going to the customers, right? This is where exactly where our story needs to tell them about the customer themselves, not just about our product. Yeah, I love that. It's uh, one of the great examples is of Apple, where they've got all their competitors out there talking about features and we've got like the latest chip and this amount of RAM and graphics card and blah, blah, blah. And Apple almost never focuses on that. And they say, uh, you know, a new touchscreen when they release the iPhone works like magic and uh, very simple, relatable promotional material that gets straight to the heart of the problem they're trying to solve for their customer, who in their case is their end user. You're absolutely right. If everybody, once the new phone ships, there's a tradition people open the iPhone and look inside the iPhone, see how complicated it is, see those advantage, technical advantage make the phone more powerful. So the product itself is extremely complicated, but they never actually sell the complexity as their top selling point. I think the SaaS business is extremely complex. If you think about even a startup building a starter SaaS businesses, there's a lot of things to consider than building one single consumer applications. Um, so that's why I think as analysts, our job is to not lose the sight of complexity and surface, track the complexity, surface complexity, you know, but at the same time, synthesizes to the message that help the company sell the product, not sell the features, as you said. Mm. So we do all the hard work. We do all the analysis. We know all the technical stuff, but we synthesize a very small portion of it that's going to speak directly to the needs of our customers and decision makers. And we arm our sales team and uh, other people out there in the field with that information. Absolutely. A tagline I often add to some of my communication is simplicity is complexity resolved. It's resolved. It's not simple to start. I think this is a job that our analysts do day in, day out. And in my career, I see the best analysts really understand that some complex is necessary because it really gives receiving of those information the confidence that we have done our job. We have gone through the whole complexity, understanding full picture and digging as deep as we can and service that one single recommendation we make to the decision makers, all the buyers, all the product managers, all the sales team. But that simplicity is based on very complex work. However, we don't show them, you know, they need to understand the model, they need to understand tracking, they need to understand information. Oh, maybe there is another like outliner. So I think that it requires us to have a certain confidence as analysts. I do struggle that even in my early career is, can I make that statement? Can I make that recommendation, right? Yes, we can, because we don't need 100% accuracy to make a recommendation. No business is built on 100% confidence. But we do need to understand the connection between the human psychology side of things is if wow messages, the truth reflection of complexity, it overwhelms the people. Okay, can you give us an example of where you've taken user data in the SaaS business and transformed it into what we might call a data story that's had an impact on the customer and the decision maker? Absolutely. A great question, Dominic. So let's think about the SaaS business. And we bought, we built this software. We shipped it. Somebody bought it. It was implemented. 
and the company's users start using it. And when we look at the user data, let's say we notice that a certain feature is not being used very often. How do we know that? We can look at some data as monthly active users, daily active users, right? Counting users of the certain features. Uh, but that's that, that does require you have to tracking this very well, which is instrumentation to monetary data, tracking this product use data. So when the adoption of the certain features doesn't really go well, what should the analysts tell this product managers and product owners of the futures? Is it because this future does not relate to the customers? Is it because something else is preventing the feature to be utilized? Or is it because the implementation, a particular implementation customization of this software, which company often do when they buy the enterprise software, is not doing well? Or is it something else? So, even we can detect this feature, we still need to link this user data into other data we can collect to answer that question, to pinpoint, hopefully, to the real cause of this user behavior and then giving the product owners and some other teams within the company the right recommendation. If we only show them that this user is being adopted, they cannot do much about it. It's a fact. It's not action. So this does require us to build a data, not singularly on just the, what you know about the feature usage, but also linked to the other things you know about the drivers of this particular behavior, and then holistically making the recommendation. Okay, great example. So if we've got a feature that's not being used, we could prove that quite robustly but it doesn't really tell us what to do unless we dig deeper, right? And so in order to dig deeper, you mentioned other data sources. What are some of the other data sources that are going to be really valuable in addition to user data for SaaS companies? We track a lot. We can do definitely track a lot of data, but it's definitely product and business specific, right? Let's actually build upon the example we just mentioned. The future is not being utilized. And... We could actually look at some other alternative futures because in a uh, complex SaaS software, it is possible that one future can be customized to do a similar job with another feature. All right. So then bring this one future to a future group. You may have a similar future set of similar to each other, can do similar jobs, and we can look at them as a group and understanding how the set of features being utilized. If certain features are being utilized and not the other not, I mean, the job is getting done. They just choose to use one route versus the other. However, if the whole group of features not being utilized, we actually need to go back to ask our customers and looking maybe even more customers of that particular use phase, uh, a feature set and asking, are we building the right solution? Maybe the solution we're building is not right, right? So if all the customers are now using this feature set, but there are people trying to solve the problem, then we know what we do. We need to rebuild those feature set, not just a single feature. 
So there's always going to be the next question, why? And we often said you need to ask four whys before you actually think you know the real answer. So ask the four whys before we actually know what's going on with this adoption of the futures. And in the SaaS business, adoption is really important for not only the decision makers as well as for the users of the product. Mm, that's something I've never considered. So, the adoption of a specific feature doesn't matter so much. It's are people interested in doing one way or another the ultimate thing that the feature is there to help them with? And then you mentioned the four whys. Is there a guide to the four times we should ask why, or how does that work? How can we implement the four whys? Let's actually do a exercise. Ask me a question. Okay. Nothing to do with this data product. <laughs> Nothing to do with SaaS. Just a, gener- just a general question. <laughs> what should I have for dinner tonight? Right. What should I have? What you asked? What should you have for dinner tonight? So, I think that the full wide question is: Are you asking question because you want to have a different experience tonight? Right. Because you know, default is you don't need to ask. You already know what you do. So is it like because you want to have a different experiences or is it because you have friends over, you have some guests, that's why you wanted to actually have a dinner options, right? So that's the next why we as analysts often try to ask is the incentive for you to even ask that first question entails one question, one more question, one more question. And that's what I mean by asking for whiles. It's getting to the incentive for that driver, the real driver for a particular product behavior. I don't know whether that's answer your question. Okay. So the first question, I, I think so. Yeah. So I'm asking, what should I have for dinner? The first question is, why is Dom asking that question? Presumably he knows how to go and get dinner. So maybe something's changed. We have maybe wants more variety or he's having friends over. Or he wants to impress right. someone, <laughs> you know, whatever, have a fancy dinner party. Who knows? And then is it just iterative? So if I say, hey, look, I um, actually am bored of having the same thing. I want to try totally different cuisine, something fresh and exciting. And then you just ask the same thing again. Is that the approach? So so, well, why? Why does Dom feel the need for variety in his life? Why is he bored? That would be even a fast, more fascinating. Do you have a life-changing experience that triggers you to actually even want to start your experiences exploration from your food taste right it could be really you just come out from a foreign travel you be introduced to something really new and you saw to yourself well i'd be pretty conservative for my diet <laughs> i want to actually start exploration or maybe you move to a new city you know if you are in australia or san francisco we have so many different local uh restaurants that offer authentic foreign food. Maybe this is why you are so intrigued because you start seeing the restaurants in your neighborhood showing up that you're not familiar with. The fact that you are not having this conversation, I can ask you why, 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 and you get tired of me. We don't have the luxury of our customers, right? The first of all is we rarely can ask one customer this question. Non-stop. The second is customer is a population, is a larger base. Users are even larger base. 
We can't ask those questions in person. So we need to be very smart of distilled information from the data we can track and we can analyze. Awesome. So to bring that back to SaaS, the interesting little dinner example, we're trying to get to the root cause of what they're trying to solve, how they're trying to use our software to make their lives easier. And it kind of ties back nicely to your example about the features, whether they're using a feature or not, or are they using workarounds? But what are they ultimately trying to accomplish? And then we could take another step and say, why? Why do they want to do that? And what the solution that they think they want, there might be a simpler way to accomplish it, right? And so if we can find that, we can make their lives even easier and then they'll be even more attached to our SaaS software and so on. Is that the kind of philosophy with the wise? You got it. That's absolute philosophy. This is the same philosophy of rule number one as analysts or data scientists is if somebody comes to you and asks, Dominic, pull this data for me, or Dominic, I need this data, what would you say, Dominic? <laughs> exactly. Why? Why do you need this? So don't give me this, don't give me the request, give me the question. So I think the being curious is also a trade we look for when we're hiring data analysts and scientists, anything, anybody to do with the data profession. Curiosity is something really, really important because I think we all read about the fascinating stories of the easy solutions solving very difficult problems or something that nobody has thought about is being reinvented or reinvented or discovered. That is all driven by curiosity. So the curiosity is definitely one of the key values we look for when we're hiring analysts and data scientists. I think that's a great way to round out the episode. So curiosity, asking why, getting to the heart of uh, problems, great for data and analytics, broadly speaking, but especially for in the SaaS world where we're catering to the needs of users who, as you've mentioned, it's not scalable to sit down and have a conversation with them and ask them all directly. We have to use data, quantitative data generated from our users. But we have to be thinking about almost the psychology behind what they're doing, why they need things, and that's how we can build awesome SaaS products. You're absolutely right, especially in the SaaS product, because at the beginning of this conversation, we were saying, we don't use SaaS product. We don't have an intuitive understanding of the experiences of those products. That's the reason, especially why we need to be more curious. The second point is SaaS product yield is more complicated. So unless we ask a lot of whys, we probably wouldn't even have the full picture. That's really the why is important everywhere, but especially important in the SaaS analytical world. Thanks. Okay. Uh -huh.